Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Policy Matters Podcast, the FTC's crackdown on non-compete agreements through rulemaking. We are very happy to have here as guest today, Daniel Hart from our Atlanta office, where we just learned that it is cold for Atlanta at what, 40 degrees? 40 some degrees. It's, uh, no, it's freezing here. I, I, I want to, you know, give uh, a little bit of sympathy for my uh, colleagues out in the Midwest where it seems to be much colder than where it is in California or Atlanta, where it's honestly pretty cold for California. And to that end, we also have Robert Milligan, a partner in our Los Angeles Century City office. I think it might be warmer in Los Angeles where Robert is than it is in Sacramento where I am. Now we can do away with all those little niceties. We are here today to talk about the Federal Trade Commission getting involved in rulemaking similar to what we spoke about the Department of Labor and the NLRB and the EOC engaging in rulemaking. Really, the FTC hasn't been in the game a bunch, but now it really is. And the rule that it's proposing is a lot more uh, preclusive and broad at the same time than some of the other rules that have passed through those other agencies. Interestingly enough, I just did a podcast with Rob Siba in New York about the Speak Out Act. In that podcast, we spoke directly to how the measure wouldn't really bring about, you know, the kind of sea change that that some employers were concerned about when it was originally signed by the president. Um, This proposed rule, however, if enacted in its current form, would also not be a sea change, but rather, in my estimation, more of a tidal wave, extinguishing not only thousands of traditional non-compete agreements, but also other agreements that could be considered considered non-competes, or as the rule terms it, de facto non-competes. For example, employers using broad non-disclosure provisions or even customer non-solicitation provisions may face uncertainty as to whether the FTC or a court would second-guess the validity of those post-employment obligations. Should the rule materialize, not only will complying with the substantive mandates of the rule be incredibly and exceedingly difficult for employers, but I also imagine that if this rule gets entered into the federal register, it is going to result in a ton of litigation over all kinds of definitions, whether the rule applies, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, to that end, before we get to really the meat of the proposed rule, Dan, I was hoping that you could just sort of give us, for our listeners unaware, just a definition of what a normal non-compete agreement would look like in some kind of a contract. Sure. And I should mention, Scott, right out of the gate that you are right. This proposed rule is a huge deal. There's a reason why we don't normally see the FTC talking about non-competes. We'll get into this later. We don't think that they have congressional authority to issue rules on non-competes. But for those who might be unfamiliar with the concept, typically when we talk about a non-compete, what we mean is a covenant that prohibits a worker from either being employed by or starting a competing business for a period of time after their employment ends. That's usually somewhere between one to two years. And there's a lot of good reasons that companies want to have covenants like that, particularly for people at the very senior level. They've got all the the special sauce in their head. They know what the company's strategy is. And that kind of information, if then used for a competitor, 
would cause uh, a, a huge harm to a company. But it's not just the C-suite people. You know, it, it's very common to use non-competes with sales employees, with folks in R&D roles, really any kind of role where there is either confidential information or customer or employee relationships that people have been entrusted with. In those situations, if the non-compete is narrowly tailored, historically in most states, employers can enforce those kind of covenants in the right circumstances. So just quickly, this would be the federal government through a non, and I don't want to like give away any like you know, politics on this show, but this would essentially be the federal government through a non-elected body imposing non-compete agreement rules on states that have already been legislating in this area for, I don't know, centuries? Yeah, centuries. Yeah, I mean, the, 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 the common law rule on non-competes formed in the early 1700s. It's that rule from England that was inherited by the, the, the early American states. And for the most part, most states for a very long time have enforced non-competes in appropriate circumstances like the ones I just outlined. Interesting. Uh, and then, Robert, I also wanted to – so now that we have this sort of a definition of what a non-compete is, there is a definition in the, in the rule itself that says any sort of agreement that has the effect of prohibiting the worker from seeking or accepting employment with a person or operating a business after the conclusion of the worker's employment with the employer. Now, the rule itself says that it's not just those agreements, right? It's also what the rule terms de facto agreements. And Robert, how would you describe the de facto agreement as applied in this context? Yeah, it's quite broad, uh, Scott. Uh, the rule itself, you know, speaks in terms of a functional test of whether a contractual term is a non-compete clause. And in the actual proposed rule, they provide two examples. The first example of what may be a de facto non-compete clause, and you got to love the language in a rule, may be, but one example is a non-disclosure agreement between an employee and a worker that is written so broadly that it effectively precludes the worker from working in the same field after the conclusion of the worker's employment with the employer. And the second example is a uh, contractual term between an employer and a worker that requires the worker to pay the employee entity for training costs if the worker's uh, employment terminates within a specified time period. So it's somewhat of a very broad, no, I guess I wouldn't even say somewhat, it's a very broad and sort of amorphous uh, standard. Uh, you know, it's, it's akin to sort of the pornography rule. You, you know it uh, you, you know it when you yeah. see it. Uh, and, and in this case, it'll be the FTC letting employers and businesses know uh, when, when they see it. I think the, one important thing to note is that, is, you know, this came out on uh, January 5th, and uh, the day before it came out, there was also a notification by the FTC that they had engaged in some enforcement actions against, you know, three employers, uh, and they believe they have that authority under Section 5 to regulate against unfair business practices, and they deemed, you know, non-compete agreements to be uh, an area where they can regulate, and so they actually brought action against uh, three companies, two in the manufacturing space, and then one in the security industry space, that's important to point out because separate and apart from this proposed rule, the FTC has indicated that they have the authority to go against employers who are using overly broad uh, non-compete. Interesting. So apart from just sort of this broad de facto everything, would this also be retroactive, Robert? 
Well, I mean, that that's a huge part of this, and that's the one that probably brings a lot of pain to the business community. It's very sweeping that a law is going to have the effect of eradicating, you know, vested contractual rights. So the answer is yes. It's not. This is not just a uh, going forward basis rule. This applies to non-compete that companies already have with their employees and that companies may have as part of business transactions because it also applies to, you know, non-competes that were entered into in the sale of a business. And unless you meet the FTC's 25% threshold as being a substantial uh, business owner, unless you satisfy that requirement, that particular non-compete that would have been in a business transaction would also be viewed as an unlawful, uh, unenforceable, you know, non-compete. So I, the, I think the business community who, who does deals, companies that have done deals, they're somewhat reeling with this proposed rule because there's really vested you know, contractual rights, business expectancies that may be impacted by the rule. Interesting. I, and I wonder, uh, just kind of sticking with you again, Robert, I, is there a provision that would maybe, you've already talked about the enforcement of these three companies, that would boost the FTC's ability to enforce you know, this rule? Well, they're using Section 5 as their justification that they have the authority uh, to, to be in this space. So that, that's the authority that they think they have. Uh, you know, certainly, you know, Dan and myself, we've done some commentary about whether they have the constitutional authority to do so. But they certainly believe they have the authority under Section 5 to be in this space and regulate in this space. Yeah, and I'll just note that in the recent omnibus bill, uh, the budget for the FTC did go up. So that might mean additional enforcement priorities coming through that agency if this rule gets enacted. Before we move on, is there anything else about the rule itself, sort of the substance before we get into like the challenges? And I guess I would like to talk a little bit about the politics behind it. Before we get into that, is there anything you wanted to say about the rule specifically? One thing I would add to what Robert's already said is the rule contemplates that after the rule takes effect, there will be a period of time probably 180 days is what the proposed rule looks at, where employers will have an obligation to rescind existing non-compete agreements with workers, to actually send a written notice to the worker telling the worker that the non-compete that they signed is unenforceable. Obviously, that's going to put a huge strain on HR departments. I'll note as well, we could have a situation where If the proposed rule or at that point final rule has not yet been enjoined, but is the subject of active litigation, employers could, by this provision, be forced to rescind contracts that they have in place, only then to later learn after they rescinded the contracts that the FTC might not have had the constitutional authority to do that. So. You know, that's one other aspect of this rule that I think is extremely onerous and I don't want to overlook here. No, that's I'm really glad you brought that point, because like part of my whole problem with this is the amount of litigation that's going to result in. And that that point that you bring up there, that results not only in, you know, the litigation we've been talking about, about what a de facto agreement is. But then we get into contractual statewide litigation about whether rescission and then trying to put it back into place is actually it, it remains a viable contract and that employee is still under the non-compete agreement. So it just it creates a ripple that could go deep and far, um, at least in my estimation. Would you all agree with that? 
Absolutely. And the other, the other thing I would point out, Scotty, if there's anything else to highlight about the rule is that, you know, it applies to um, employers, but it, it also uh, uses the term worker uh, in addition to um, employer. And it's defined, you know, workers to include employees, uh, independent contractors, externs, interns, volunteers, apprentices, sole proprietors. And so it's, it's quite broad. It's uh, oftentimes people ask, well, does, would it apply to independent contractors? Absolutely. By its very terms, um, it applies to independent contractors. Um, if it applies so it, to unpaid interns. <laughs> that's right. You know what I think what we're going to do, uh, Dan and Robert, is we have, we have a good amount still to talk about. So I think what we're going to do is we're going we're gonna to call it quits on this episode, but we're going to pick back up in the next episode because I'd like to speak to both of you about potential constitutional challenges to this. Robert, a blog post you recently drafted uh, about a bill that has been introduced in Congress that would sort of codify this rule and, you know, maybe get into the politics of it a little bit. So we'll see you guys soon for the next episode. Hey, thanks, Scott. Great. Thanks.